Because of the following special program, Wonder Woman and the Incredible Hulk will not be presented this evening. It's time to get all your Star Wars news in a single file. This is Making Tracks. Here are your hosts, Mark Nubo and Dave Tree. That's not true. That's impossible. If you hear that, they shut down the main reactor and will be destroyed to shore. This is madness. <laughs> lights on the audience, please, because they are adorable. Look! Well, some Oh, God, no. Um, <laughs> my mistake. Um, good morning and welcome. Look at this. I have a hole. It's like boarding a ship or something. Um, okay, here we go. So, thank you for being here today. This has come as a complete surprise. Oh, you're giving a talk, they said. Really? I said. Yeah, did you know I was giving a talk? Yes. Well, you could have told me. <laughs> right, um, so, I have a question here. Is there anybody who has not, and be honest, has not seen a Star Wars film? You have not seen a Star Wars film. What, what, what's your name? And you haven't. What's your name? Isaac. Isaac. And what's your name? Zach. Isaac and Zach. What's your name? Elijah. Elijah. Isaac, Zach and Elijah. Okay. Isaac. <laughs> Was that you? No. It happened just as I was passing. Sorry. Sorry. He's sorry. Isaac, Zach, and Elijah have never seen a Star Wars movie. So here's a question: How would you, how would you describe for Isaac, Zach, and Elijah what Star Wars is about? Two massive powers. Two massive powers, right? Right? Um, how, how would you describe what Star Wars is? Pew pew. Pew pew. 
We are in Birmingham, aren't we? I should remember that. And, and what about you? Potentially the best movies you'll watch in your lifetime. Now, Elijah Zach and somebody else are, um, don't know about it. So it's the best movie, it's Pew Pew, and it's Two Mighty Powers. Who can, who can really help me here? The Five for God and Evil. Yeah, all words to that effect, very good. And what about you? Um, it's a war between different opposing factors. Very good, war between two opposing factors. It's pew pew, it's two mighty powers, it's war between two factors. You're a little scary. Uh, what do you think? Um, a good film. A good film. You are also wrong. Star Wars is the adventures of a golden robot. <laughs> that is what it's about. Come on, get real. So now you have in front of you, at this moment, a living legend. So what would... <laughs> I am a Hollywood icon. I read that somewhere. Okay. So show some respect. So now, who would like to ask a question of this Hollywood legend? What's your name? Come here, come here. Golden suit. How much could I see through my golden suit? Adam. Adam. Adam wants to know how much I could see through my golden suit. I could see a hundred miles in the distance. Long, long way, providing it was straight ahead of me. But this gentleman here, who's about the same size and shape of R2-D2, yeah, um, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to see him uh, because he would be outside my field of vision, so I would have to turn like that. And so sometimes I was pretending to see things, okay? But you can do that in, in films, because it's all edited and it's make-believe. So which is your... Look at you. Are you a Star Wars fan? Ish. Golden robot, oh, good recovery. Good. You see, that's all it takes, spirit of the moment. So, which is your favourite Star Wars film? The original. The first one. You mean episode one? No, episode four. Episode four. You're absolutely right. Who loves episode one? No, you, you said number four, so I, I know it's confusing. You're, you're in the presence of a great star. Yeah, it's, it's, that was one. Who, who loved episode one? Yeah. And how old were you when you saw it? Oh, um, I think I was about seven or eight. Yeah, because it was made for seven, eight, nine, ten-year-olds, wasn't it? Did you like episode one? Yeah. What did you like about it? Uh, Chewbacca. <laughs> <laughs> was Chewbacca in episode one? I don't think Chewbacca was in episode one. Uh, oops, yes, never mind. We all have oops moments. It's really good. What about you? I loved episode one because it was when 3, 3PO was made. Good call, good call. And what was scary, I've written a book. And that's not scary. But in the book, I describe how I learned who built C-3PO. Has anybody read this in the book? Um, I was at Leafston Studios, and George was explaining how 3PO was made, and he said, you're created by Anakin Skywalker. And I thought, Anakin, I thought that's so nice, because Alec Guinness has been really kind to me on the first movies, and I thought, how cute that 
Anakin would be... This show is all about the furniture, isn't it? <laughs> Suddenly in my, I'm in world of leather. <laughs> Leatherette, I think. Um, he said, you're made by Anakin. And I thought that was really cool, because Anakin had been really kind to me. And look at that, with one leap. Here we go. Um, and then it was weeks later that I thought, wait a minute, Anakin, Anakin has played Obi-Wan Kenobi. Anakin is a bad guy. 3PO does not know that he was created by the villain. Don't tell him, okay? Because he's very nervous as it is. So that was a genuine mistake because it was like 16 years since, 14, 16 years since the previous movie. And there I was. Now, I'm not going to walk out because you have some scary people here with your pew-pews and all that kind of thing. Uh, who puts their hand up and has another question? Yes, on the front row with this strange makeup. Now, you're going to have to speak up. Now, this isn't going to work. Right, okay. Um, so, who, has, uh, who knows that I have written a book? Oh, uh, yes. Who's read it? <laughs> And you survived, you came. How is it? Very, very good. It's very, very good. It's the best book you've ever, I'm sorry, I can't hear, the best book you ever have read. Ever. It's, it's full of enticing information. It's simply- Anecdotes. It's what? Anecdotes. Anecdotes, uh, stories you've never heard before. Ever. Pictures Loads. that you wondered at. And how many are you buying for a Christmas presents for Star Wars fans? Three, Seven or eight. How many, three dozen? <laughs> I don't think stocks for that, have we? You see, unsolicited approval for my book. People say, why did I write this book now? Well, first of all, I was asked to. It wasn't actually my idea. Um, and how right it seems, because we had the first film, episode four, five, six. And then I said goodbye to it, didn't I? After, after Return of the Jedi with those cute little Ewoks, I said goodbye. Who likes Ewoks? Hands down. <laughs> Do you know they were meant to be wonderful and cute and everything? They were meant to have animated faces with eyes that blinked and really cute. Well, they ran out of time and budget. So you ended up with those scary little critters. Do you remember the Dead Eyes? Village of the Damned, done in fur. But that was the end of the first series of films. The end of Star Wars, as I thought. And then, of course, uh, all those years later, yes, we come to episode one, two, and three, and at the end of three, I said goodbye. That's the end of it. And now what happened? We have seven, eight, and nine. Anybody going to see episode nine? What about the others of you? No? Okay. Um, episode nine, I finished work on about two weeks ago. Can you believe? It's out you know, in a couple of weeks. But that's J.J. Abrams, who's polishing the whole thing brilliantly. I think finally it's finished. Don't trust me on that. But what happened, I realized that we had all those films in a row. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And the other two, Rogue One and Solo. So I hung the book on all that as a coat rail, if you will. And I tell stories on the side. I tell. Uh, about the 501st, the fans, people who forge autographs, John Williams, I talk a lot about him and his music, and all sorts of other things like the holiday special, 
Anybody see the holiday special? You're laughing, you saw it, you lived. It's truly, truly bad. <laughs> you can actually watch it on, um, on YouTube, I, I, I found, and it, it's really horrific. Anybody see the Donnie and Marie Osmond show that I was on? A miracle. The Muppet Show, Sesame Street. All these things that I have done because of C-3PO human cycle of relations. <laughs> and in the book, in the book, of course, I talk about how George didn't want to use my voice. You know this, yes? We filmed all the way through, and I had a, I had a transmit uh, a microphone here, and then a wire that went all the way down my back, and they shoved the transmitter just where there was a bit of space, right, right here. Cute. Kept it warm, anyway. Um, but of course, the sound quality So I did a guide track for them on the set, and then they went away. That was the end. I'd forgotten about Star Wars. It was a totally weird job, but I had forgotten. A phone call to go to America, and I went, jet lag and everything, and in the studio, I found out that George Lucas had decided he couldn't stand my interpretation of a very British character. I never thought of him as being a British butler. Well, he could have said, he could have asked me. He wanted to have a second-hand car dealer character from the Bronx to New York. I'm not sure I could have done it, but I would have tried. My name's Alan Harris. I enjoy getting information about films, and I rely on fanfare tracks. Thank you. But a magic thing happened. All these people watching me on the screen being Freepio, and they were putting a voice on you and Freepio. Nothing worked. Nothing worked. And it's because 3PO is 3PO. He's not me, he's not the suit, he's not the script that George had written. Something magical happened on that day that walking onto this terrifying surface, the planet Tatooine, being there with the Jawas and Uncle Owen and Luke Skywalker, 3PO suddenly arrived. All right, I've been studying the script for six months, but he arrived as if by magic, as if the force, if you will, came down. And it became impossible to separate my performance physically from the verbal performance of C-3PO. What was scary was, I couldn't say the first line on the set. Uncle Owen came up and said, you know, do you speak binary language of moisture evaporators? Why, sir, my first job was cut. Action. Why, well, so my first job. Cut. Action. Why, well, so Cut. Um, listen, you can, uh, you can say anything you want. Don't worry about the voice. You can fix it later. I didn't know he meant he'd already decided that he didn't like my character. But eventually, yes, I did go back and put my voice on the film. But the important thing is, here in Birmingham, I would admit to you that all the way through that movie, I am speaking out of my ass. Okay. <laughs> so you can think about that. But I'm so grateful because, of course, it's meant that I can be in so many different shows. And uh, that continues. And The Rise of Skywalker, of course. Who wants to ask me a question about The Rise of Skywalker? Dare you? Okay, what was your question?
in terms of intention, method, and any other things, how do you work as an actor? How do I work as an actor? Sporadically. It's, it's, um, it's a difficult life as an actor because it's something you should only do if you want to do it, if you need to do it, if you can't think of anything better in life than to act. Because believe me, for most people, it is, sorry about the sound, it's because it's you, isn't it? Just turn me down a bit, it would be better. Um, Acting is something you should only do if you really, really want to, but how lucky am I? But in the book, you will find out, I get, I get nervous when, when, actors, uh, when actors talk too much about their method. I had to think physically how to, how to work things, and emotionally, because 3PO is an emotional character, as we know. Why do we like C-3PO, do we think? Who knows why we tend to like C-3PO? Anybody? I work. Yes. What? He's he kind of expresses human emotions more than a human is allowed to do. Do you understand? Most of us are taught to be grown up and, and tough and everything and hide our feelings, but we don't have to. Three PO. Three PO is there, and I have a lovely story. Sadly, it's not in the book because I only heard it. Somebody told me about three weeks ago. This man said to me that. As a child, three or four years old, he'd watched Star Wars and had been afraid, so he watched it from the furniture and be hiding behind the settee. And when he was scared, he went back again and hid. And it was okay for him to be afraid because the gold man was afraid. And 3PO gave him permission to be afraid, to say it's all right not to be a macho hero. I thought that was really, really nice. And there are times that 3PO does really speak to the more, the more, mm, people who find it difficult to be in this world sometimes, a little uncomfortable. 3PO has no idea how society works, how humans work. So he really can touch how you feel. Then of course we get on to why we like R2D2. And the big shock for me on the first set that first day. And I'd been working on the script for six months. And it said in the script, 3PO, where are you going? R2 beeps a response. 3PO, well, what makes you think there's a settlement over there? R2 beeps a reply. Normal, totally normal, the correspondence, a, a conversation between two characters on stage and film. When we get there, nobody had thought to tell me that R2-D2 was as silent as this piece of furniture. Where are you going? Well, what made you think that a settlement's over there? But that was, I got halfway through that scene before my brain just collapsed. And I said to George Lucas, it's in the book, it's very difficult to do a scene with nothing. Can, you, can somebody make a sound, a beep, or whatever? Can, George, can you go like beep? Oh, oh yeah. mm. um, so we start again. Wait a minute, where are you going? Oh, uh, me. <laughs> from then on, from then on, I gave up. And what I did was to write out uh, 3PO's question, that was in the script, but then I would write out after D2. Because not only did I have to imagine what he was saying, I had to actually listen to him saying nothing 
who's not just waiting for my cue, uh, where are you going? Well, what makes you think, you know, making sure you understood the audience that I was actually having a conversation. Then Ben Burt came in and added the beeps and whistles and sounds that got him an Oscar. And one of the really inventive things was he didn't only play things on the keyboard, he actually whistled. Yeah, I can't whistle. Um, and then he had his baby, his son, um, make her noises. And I think that really helps us understand R2 as a human thing. There is humanity in that, it makes him lovable. But all that was way, way later. So when we came to the third movie, The uh, Return of the Jedi, and there I am on the road to Jabba's palace, and I'm rehearsing by myself, and I've told this story because it's my favorite story of all the Star Wars films. They were setting up the camera in a glass box because that side of the film was blacked out with paint on the window, because that's where the matte painting of Jabba's palace would eventually be because Jabba's palace wasn't there, sorry. So they're setting it up, and I'm taking the opportunity to rehearse, looking down at the floor, making sure there's nothing to bump into, and then I'm doing the dialogue, which was something like, um, Lando Calrissian never returns from this awful place. And suddenly behind me, I hear beep, 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 beep. And I turn around, and there is George Lucas following me. On, <laughs> it truly was the happiest day. And I wish he could have done that. And then, of course, we move on to uh, episode seven, where I have a new companion, BB-8. Who loves BB-8? I love BB-8. You would, you would love him even more if you saw Brian Heron. BB-8's down there and Brian Herring is about there, and he's on the end of green sticks, and he's, he's manipulating it. And Dave is over there uh, doing the little perky head, so it's a kind of three-man job, two-man job. But the great thing about having Brian there is I can say, hello, BB-8, what are you doing here? And it's Brian doing that live on set. And it made it so much more fun. I don't know why we didn't do that before with the voice. But the problem was, the one problem with BB-8 is that he's very funny, but the ball isn't a funny thing. It's Brian's face is up here. So several times I, I've completely forgotten I'm talking to Brian because he's making these noises and ignoring the ball. We had to do those shots again. But, you know, progress on all of these films, because there's now been, what? 11 is miraculous and we went through the whole green screen phase do you remember that now green screen's all right it just isn't as much fun to be you walk into a place and it's green or it's blue and you can read why you have those two colors in, in my book did i tell you i'd written a book <laughs> right good good um but now in the rise of skywalker and indeed in 7 and 8, but now in the rise of Skywalker, I would walk into buildings at Pinewoods that probably are twice as high as this. So you would walk in and go, wow, look at this, the real stuff. All right, it's made out of polystyrene and timber and, and uh, scaffolding, 
but from where I'm looking, it's totally real. I'm gonna tell you, it was the rebel base. Did you know there's a rebel base in the Rise of Skywalker? There's always a rebel base, have you noticed? Always. So I'm not giving anything away, because I don't want to spoil anything. Um, in the few seconds that we have left to live, to live, uh, <laughs> what I say? Um, who, who's got another question? And, and in fact, there's another microphone here. You, who's got a question? Can you, I'm going to come down. You can tell this is And I'm back in the room. Where are you, young lady? Yes. You could have another one. Uh, excuse me. Star passing through. Star passing through. I'm going to have a legend. Everything. Immediately. Were you, also, um, were you able ever to um, improvise any of the three scenes? Was I ever able to improvise? Not really. Um, just watching the mic here. Who's, who's got the sound? Is it back there? Hey ho. Um, yes. Okay, in the place we can't get to. Oh, whisper. You don't want to improvise too much because you're going to surprise the heck out of the other actors who've learned the script. Okay, they get very worried. So, improvising is, is not really an option. But what I was doing with R2D2 was improvising, pretending that this object was my best friend. And that took, well, I got used to it, but that's a form of improvisation. In rehearsal, in a camera rehearsal, you can do a little bit of uh, what would happen if I did this, you know. But basically, you've got a very expensive director who's worked out what, what's going to happen, and so you don't want to waste time, because every second on the set is a ton of money, okay? Um, improvisation, I watch that show on TV, it kills me, I couldn't do that. Really respect them. But on the, on the day, some kind of inspiration happens, but you need to discuss it with other people and then lock it in and just do it. Another question? Yes. This is Steve Bloom, voice of Zebralios, and you're listening to Fanther Tracks Caravast. <laughs> May the force be with you. Uh, do you get to see the whole script, or do you just get part of the script when you get one from J.J. Abrams? Um, yeah, I get the whole script. And, you know, to begin with, I would learn lines that were, you know, this big, whole speeches about, you know, and then you've learned it, and as you get older, it's tougher to learn words, you know. And um, then the day before, you get another script. Then probably just before you get in the car, a little fiddle, get to your trailer, there's another printout for the day. I actually stopped learning the words, really, because there'd always be a remake of such and such. But yes, I had the whole script, and as you can read, all the rewrites come on different colored pages, and so you can follow what's changed. And my favorite color page, I'll leave you to, to guess. What was scary was the original script, which everybody has, is on deep red paper with black print on. This is so nobody can photocopy it or look over your shoulder whilst you're reading it, okay? It also means I cannot read a word of it. With, as your eyes get older, red and black don't really work. So I was one of the few people who had it in black and white. And if you see pictures on set, I think it's one of the books, you have a little pouch with your name on it, and you have the right to have that script for that day. And it's very secret. But I would go into my, my guy here, it was uh, uh, Sophie and... Uh, um, 
my other dresser who's named. And I say, this is where we're going to do this, because they're dressing me up, and they go, we're doing what? I said, oh, you haven't read the script. No, we're not allowed to, oh, for heaven's sake, read it. Because they're standing by me as I'm saying the words, as I'm doing the actions. So it's like, you know, not crazy. But yes, I have, I have the whole script. Do you, do you want to buy it? <laughs> it's yours. No, I wouldn't do that. Yes. How comfortable was the suit? How comfortable was the suit? Not at all. Not at all comfortable. The magic thing for this movie is that they change the way the head goes on and off. So it's now, it was half an hour just for the head. Take it on, take it off. Now it's six seconds, which means I can escape and breathe. We are coming to the end of, right over here, can you say your, your question? Um, how fast can C-3PO walk? How fast can C-3PO walk? Well, he can, he can walk pretty fast, but it doesn't look very interesting. He does actually walk fairly fast in the rise of Skywalker, um, but he always has a job keeping up with the humans. And if I have one regret, it's not being able to wear real clothes in, in these movies. Uh, when you did some of the uh, animated shows, was it difficult at all to go from physical acting to just voice acting? No, because, because when I do anything as C-3PO, I don't sit down, I stand exactly as C-3PO, because that way my, my lungs, my diaphragm, where I speak from, my throat, are all in a great place. And if you saw me doing a cartoon or putting my voice on the movies, you would see that I am actually standing like C-3PO and animating him thus, because that way he stays in character. Yes, I'm nearly going back to signing my book. Did you know I've written a book? There's lots of people in line. Uh, how would you compare your experience on set with the original trilogy to the prequel trilogy by Lucas? How would I describe the difference between being on the prequels, the sequels, and the sequel sequels? Um, George Lucas is quite easy to forget these days that George actually invented the whole thing. That none of us, well I certainly wouldn't be here in Birmingham today without George. And I talk about this in the book because he, against all the odds, battled to make his, his film. And then you get all sorts of other people taking on the mantle and in the end, of course, J.J. Abrahams, who was 10 years old when he saw Star Wars. It's just like a schoolboy still. He has that original uh, enthusiasm for it. And it makes such a difference because everybody on the set is a Star Wars fan. Doesn't matter if you're the head of lighting, if you're the head of sound, just around the back. Uh, if you're in costume, if you're in makeup, if you're in catering, if you're in security. Everybody is a Star Wars fan on the set in a very relaxed way. They'll work on Wonder Woman and all that kind of thing, but then they come to our set and they just love it. So it is great to have been a part of this family. But of course the family wouldn't have actually happened without you. Because I don't know if you realize that you are a part of the family. Do you realize that? Without the fans, and some of you were here at the beginning, 1977, some of you have just joined, and thank you for those parents who, who have created little Star Wars fans. Very good for my pension. <laughs> I love it. But, you know, you can thank me and people thank me for coming here today to Birmingham. And I am saying, and I say in the book, because you know I write a book, 
Um, I say thank you to the fans, because without you, nothing. Thank you. If you want to get in touch with Panther Tracks, this is how you do it. You can drop us an email, radio at phantertracks.com, or you can comment on our Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Tumblr, any of our social media feeds, at Panther Tracks. If you want to listen to the show, you can tune in on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, listen to us on Stitcher, subscribe on Android, listen to us on Spotify, on SoundCloud, subscribe on TuneIn, listen to iHeartRadio, or even on Spreaker. We're on smart speakers such as Amazon Alexa, Apple HomePod, Google Home and Sonos. We're also available in your car, if you've got a car or an Anspeeder, with Apple CarPlay and Android. Android Auto or on your gaming consoles and your television you can find us on Fantatrax TV you can get the Fantatrax app can't recommend that highly enough available on all platforms and for any details on how to listen in or subscribe head to the Fantatrax radio landing page on Fantatrax.com